Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. That is the uh, it's a perfect song to go into the message today. Thank you, Gil. Y'all, I, I sent Gil my uh, sermon uh, topics and verses as early as I can, and he's uh, he does such a good job most of the time being able to uh, connect the songs to the sermons. I appreciate his ability to do that and his willingness to do that. But that's just a perfect uh, lead-in to this message today. Um, I'm excited about sharing this with you today. Uh, New Year's Day is, um, you know, a lot of folks like to watch the Tournament of Roses parade that happens on New Year's Day every year. And several years ago, um, right in the middle, one of the, uh, right in the middle of the parade, one of the, one of the floats, one of those beautiful floats just kind of sputtered and died right in the middle of the parade. As the vehicle that was uh, uh, carrying the float ran out of gas. And so uh, every, I mean, the whole parade had to stop. The parade came to a complete stop until someone could get some gas and get some gas cans out there and refill the tank and get the parade cranked up again. The crazy thing was that this float represented the Standard Oil Company, uh, which uh, at that time was the largest oil refining company in the world. So here's a here's a company with all of its vast resources and uh, its own truck was out of gas and not going anywhere. Um, I wonder today, I wonder today, how many Christians and how many churches are like this float, with all the vast resources of the Holy Spirit who we just invited when you sang. I hope you realized what you said and what we said. As we invited the Holy Spirit to come and to rain down in this place. Are we ready for that? You, you ready for him to do that? You ready for him to come and change our hearts? You ready for him to move with power in this place, in our hearts, and in our lives? Today, we just invited him to do that as we sang that song. But I wonder how many churches and how many individuals are like that float in the in the Tournament of Roses Parade, we've got all the vast resources of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and yet we're not going anywhere. I wonder how many folks are like that. Uh, we're beginning a series of messages today uh, that you see on the screen there entitled The Church. And obviously there's a reason why the U-R is capitalized in the middle of that word, the church, the emphasis there. Because you are the church. We are the church. You are the church. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not going to assume that everybody in this room today knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, that everybody that's watching this service today has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But those of us that do, we make up the church. You are the church. It's not this building. It's not that we love this building. We love this facility. We love our place to gather, but this is not the church. This is the church building, the church facility, but you are the church. So as we start this series, and over the course of this series, we're, gonna, we're going to look at seven different aspects of the church. Today, we're going to look at the power. Then we're going to look at the, the plan. We're going to look at the purpose. We're going to look at the people, the places, the problems, 
the possibilities, and the prayer. So as we, over these next seven weeks, as we look at every one of these aspects and characteristics and important components of the church, then you will find yourself in every one of those somewhere. You'll find yourself in each one of these because you are the church as we begin this series of messages from the book of Acts. So if you will grab your Bible, I hope you got your Bible with you. I say that a lot. hope you got your Bible with you. If you don't, grab a pew Bible and turn to page 909, but I hope you got your copy of God's Word. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, as we start this series in the book of Acts is where we're going to be for the next seven weeks. So would you stand, please, as we read these two passages of Scripture. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Let's go on and read through verse 11 there. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now flip over to chapter 2, and let's read those first four verses in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. May God bless the reading of his perfect word this morning. Let's pray together. So, Father, we ask you now by the power of your Holy Spirit who is present with us and in us, uh, that you would speak to us today, that you would teach us, that you would reveal truth to us. Holy Spirit, that you would truly reign down in this place and move in our hearts and lives today. Uh, for the glory of God, for the advancement of your kingdom, for the building up and the edification of the church, we commit this time to you now as we gather around your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So as we begin a series of messages on the church, uh, I don't know if there's any better place for us in the, to go to in the New Testament than the book of Acts. If you want to think about the church, it's one of the most important books in the New Testament as it relates to the church. There's so much in the book of Acts, wonderful book of the New Testament right after the Gospels, 
And this book talks about the church in so many different places. It talks about the, the birth of the church, and we'll look at that today. That'll be one of the things that we'll kind of focus on today. But we see in the book of Acts, we see the, the, the birth of the church. We see the rapid growth of the church. I mean, the church went from a band of, of, of apostles in an upper room that the Holy Spirit came upon to, uh, within just a matter of time, 3,000 people. I mean, it went from this little tiny group to a mega church in just, almost, in just an instant, really, as thousands of people gave their lives to Christ right off. The, so the rapid growth of the church, we see the first problems in the church. As you start walking through the book of Acts, you begin seeing some of the problems. You know why problems exist in the church? Look around you. I mean, here we are. We're some imperfect people. Uh, we're going to say things, do things. We're going to there be problems that will come into the church because uh, we're not perfect. And and so the problems began to happen in the church, uh, and we'll see some of those things happening. Then we see the persecution of the church. It didn't take long. It didn't take long at all for the uh, the persecution of the believers to begin. And we'll see that. We'll find out what happened to some of those apostles. We find out what happened to the church because after the persecution of the church, we see the scattering of the church. And y'all, it's a good thing that the church scattered because it scattered all the way to Florida, Mississippi. And we're sitting here today because of that. And so we see this, all of this about the church in the book of Acts. And that's why it's so important. And, 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 and there, it's so important as we come out of a, a sermon series focused on discipleship as we walk through during the month of January, Discipleship 101, and such a great response to that. Thank you all so much for engaging with that over the course of the month of January. But there's some method of my madness in going right into a sermon series on the church because those two are so important. The discipleship of believers happens within the church, within the body of believers. And so we see this in the church, all of these things, the birth of the church, the growth of the church, the problems in the church, the persecution that happened in the church, the scattering in the church. And there's another significant point that we see in the book of Acts about the church, and that is the coming of the Holy Spirit into the church. And what we need to understand how important this is, this is extremely important because the power in the church and the power for the church is the Holy Spirit. The power in the church and the power for the church is the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say something real quick before I move further, and I know that the vast majority of you understand this. Probably, maybe everybody understands this, but I want to be very clear about this. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? Amen? You understand that? The third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not some impersonal power, some impersonal force, even though the title of the message today is the power, the power comes from the person of the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a, a false uh, group, a, a false church, a false religion that you're familiar with called the Jehovah's Witnesses. And one of their main beliefs is, is that the Holy Spirit is not the third person of the Trinity. That the Holy Spirit is just God's life force. The, the Holy Spirit is just uh, the, the power that God uses, not being the third person of the Trinity. So I want to I say that very clearly as we start this message today that's going to focus on the Holy Spirit, that we're talking about Him, not it. Amen? We're talking about Him. We're talking about the third 
person of the Trinity. So uh, we're going to get into the book of Acts. And we, uh, those of you that come to refresh on Wednesday night know that last year we spent a a, a pretty good amount of time walking through a, a large portion of the book of Acts on Wednesday night. I hope you'll come. Cindy already mentioned it. I know a lot of you don't or a lot of you can't because you're you're working with kids or you're working, you're singing in the choir. And I'm so thankful for all of those. But if you're not, then this is your place. This is the other Wednesday night at 630 is the other corporate worship time for this body of believers. And so I hope you'll come and be a part of that. But but it, 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 even though we um covered a lot of this on Wednesday night. I want to give three quick bullet points just to give you an overview of the book of Acts. Some things, just just some stuff, some information about this book that you need to know. First of all, who wrote the book? Well, the book, Acts, was written by, by Luke, same guy that wrote the gospel of Luke. In fact, as you see there that we just read, it says there that Luke said in, in verse 1, he says, in the first book. Well, the first book he's talking about is his gospel. And so that's what we find here is we find that Luke was the uh, author of the book of Acts. And the person that he wrote it to, the recipient of this book, was a guy named Theophilus. You see there, verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus. Well, you'll find that same name in Luke chapter 1. You find it in Acts chapter 1. You find that same name in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, he says the same thing. He dedicates or or uh, shares with uh, Theophilus the things that he wrote in the book of Luke. It's interesting about the name Theophilus. Most uh, most people believe, and I, I believe this too, that Theophilus was a real person. There's no real reason not to believe that he was that he was not a real person. Uh, he was probably a wealthy, um, influential a Gentile believer in the church. Uh, so th there's no real reason not to not to believe that that's the truth. But here's one thing that I think is very, I, I, I just like this. I think this is a cool uh, aspect as you look at Scripture and as you do a little digging. The, the name Theophilus, the name Theophilus actually means lover of God. You may want to jot that in the margin of your Bible. Circle the name Theophilus and write that out in the margin that the, his name means lover of of God. So here's a way to think about this. Theophilus was most likely a real person. But isn't it, isn't it interesting to think about that? That as the Holy Spirit of God led Luke to write the Gospel of Luke to Theophilus and led Luke to write the book of Acts to Theophilus, he wrote to a man whose name means lover of God. And so isn't it interesting to think about that, that it could be that Luke was writing these letters and that the Holy Spirit led him to write to Theophilus so that those of us in 2022 at Flora, Mississippi, who are going to study this book would become greater lovers of God. Isn't that what we're supposed to be? And think about that. I just love that aspect, just knowing what that name means, lover of God. I want to be a Theophilus, amen? Uh, that's not my given name, but, man, I'd love to be known as a Theophilus, as a lover of God. And I hope that you would be uh, have that same desire to be a Theophilus and to be a lover of God. So you see, the Luke wrote it, the recipient was Theophilus. And just a quick overview about this book, the book of Acts as I've already mentioned, gives an account of the, the progress of the early church, the birth of the church. We see all that happening, but it's, it's through the work of these apostles 
these disciples that wrote, that walked with Jesus and learned from Jesus, and then after Judas uh, was uh, did his thing and was no longer part of that group, you know, in Acts chapter one we see a, a man named Matthias who was added to the group as the as another apostle, and and these guys did what Jesus told them to do. They obeyed Jesus's commands. They obeyed his commission that he gave to them in Matthew chapter 28 that we talk about a lot, go make disciples of all nations. They obeyed that, and and they began doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And so this book serves as a, really as a bridge between the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and then the book of Romans through Revelation, the rest of the New Testament, Paul's letters from which we get so much of our doctrine and theology and the other letters of John and James and other people in the book of Revelation. This book stands in the middle to kind of serve as a bridge to say, this is what Jesus said, this is how it got started, and this is where we're going from here. And that's why this book is so important, especially for us, as we think about who are we supposed to be? As First Baptist Church, Flora, who are we? I know maybe you've thought about that. We've been here since 1887. Have we really figured that out? Who are we really supposed to be? And I pray that over the next seven weeks, if that's something we're going to really wrestle with and to come to grips with, and part of what we need to understand is the power that we have as Christ followers. And that's what the application of this message is, is that as Christ followers and as members of his church, those who know Jesus, I'm not just talking about those that have their name on a church roll somewhere. I'm talking about members of Christ's church, capital C, the body of Christ. Because I believe that there are people whose names are on church rolls all over the, the world, all over the nation, all over the world, who truly are not a part of the church, the body of Christ. And that's a tragic thing. And if that's true of you, then I beg you and plead with you to come to Jesus today and to be saved. But as Christ followers and members of his church, we must live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? First of all, let's talk about this power. It's the power that seals us. The Holy Spirit power is the power that seals us. Go back to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 5 there. Uh, Jesus said, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power that seals us. That baptism that Jesus said there, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now, that baptism happened on the day of Pentecost that we just read about that we'll get to in just a minute. And at that moment, at the moment of the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, people were, Christ's followers were permanently, listen, permanently, the eternal security of your salvation. You were permanently indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit, and the church began. The church was birthed there in Acts chapter 2. So let's talk about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's kind of a lightning rod uh, a phrase that a lot of people use sometimes, and I want us to understand what this really is about when Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that defining moment when the Holy Spirit places the believer in union with Jesus Christ and in union with other believers in the body of Christ. It is that moment, not moments, plural. It is that moment. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that moment 
when you give your life to Jesus and you are placed in union with Jesus Christ and you are also placed in union with every other believer in Jesus Christ and the body of Christ everywhere for all time. It is that moment that happens. It happens at the exact moment of your salvation. If you give your life to Jesus today, if you know that you need to be saved, if you're watching this service today and you know you need Jesus and you give your life to Christ, then at that very moment you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be sealed by the Holy Spirit, and it is an eternal seal. Amen? We are sealed forever. It's a one-time act. Next Sunday, we're going to baptize some, uh, some children next Sunday. And we're going, to, we're going to fill this baptistry up, and we're going to baptize. And baptism is a one-time thing. It happens one time, and that person is plunged beneath the water one time. That's why we believe that the New Testament mode of baptism is total immersion. Not sprinkling, not pouring, but immersion. We believe that the New Testament, we believe, we see that Jesus was baptized that way. And we believe this is the greatest picture of what happens when a person comes to know Jesus. And part of the picture that you see in baptism is that, that we are baptized one time, totally immersed one time, and you come back up out of the water. I don't, <laughs> I don't dunk people multiple times and shake them around while I'm, now some of y'all might think, hey, when you get my kid in there, would you do yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't baptize them, plunge them up and down, up and down, up and down. It's one time. You go under the water one time, you come out of the water. That's it. And that's the picture that we see of the sealing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It only happens one time at the moment of your salvation. You place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, and at that instant you are completely submerged in and immersed by the Holy Spirit. It's a one-time act. Now, let me say this, just kind of not as a side note, Just it's just as important. We're baptized one time, but we are filled many times. Paul said, and jot this verse down, Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, he said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. We know that it's sinful to get drunk. So to get, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, that, that Greek word, again, this is another time to kind of do a little digging. That Greek word means be being filled. Be being filled, constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what? It's not that we lose the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't lose him and lose our salvation, but we lose the presence of the Holy Spirit. We lose that ongoing intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because we leak. <laughs> we leak. This past week, you leaked sometimes. You got mad in a sinful way. You did something in a sinful way, and you popped a leak, and you didn't lose your salvation, but you certainly started losing that fellowship, that intimacy with the Holy Spirit, that intimacy with the Father, that intimacy in your walk with Jesus, because we leak through the sins that we uh, commit day after day, week after week. And so we need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me with your presence. Fill me, Holy Spirit. And so, but this baptism, you need to understand this sealing, the power that seals us. Jot these verses down. Listen to these verses. Jot them down. Second, uh, Second Corinthians one Second Corinthians one twenty two says, God set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, 
guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing what a deposit, a seal. God put his seal of ownership on us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. See there, at that moment of salvation, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is the power that seals us. Be thankful. If you know Jesus, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and that seal will never be broken. Nothing you can do to break that seal. Nothing that anybody can do to break that seal. Satan can't break that seal. He'll try to make you think that he can, but he can't. You are sealed for all eternity with the promised Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, that power is not the power, not only the power that seals us, but the power that sends us. You probably figured I was going to get to Acts 1-8. There's no way that John Daniel's going to preach Acts chapter 1 and not get to Acts 1-8. The power that sends us. You really need to consider Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the great commission that we just memorized a few weeks ago. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We, you really need to take that and Acts 1-8 together. Because they were said at basically the same time. They're, they're, you take them together and look at them as the overall last words of Jesus before he ascended back to heaven. And, and so you look at those, so it's so obvious as we look at those two, uh, as we look at Jesus' life and ministry, as we look at his teachings, as we look at those two passages together, you really see his plan for us, for his disciples, his apostles, but now his plan for us as a church. You look at this, and Jesus' plan is to, to send us out to witness to the lost. We see that in Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses. But you think back to some of the stuff that Jesus said while he was uh, active in his earthly ministry before he was crucified and buried, resurrected, and ascended back to the Father. You think about what he said there in Matthew uh, chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, where he said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray, therefore, that the Lord will send out workers into his harvest field. So it's obvious that Jesus is going to send us out and has sent us out to witness to the lost. And it's also that not only we witness to them, but we win them to Christ. Now, listen, I know our job is to witness. Whether or not a person comes to know Jesus, that responsibility is not on you and me. That's, that's God. Our job is to be obedient and to share the gospel. But man, the opportunity that we do have to win them to Christ. And we looked at that when we looked at uh, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch just a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 8, verse 35. It says, then Philip opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. If you're going to witness, you got to open your mouth and told him the good news about Jesus. And then what happened? The guy got saved. And so Philip had the joy and the privilege that you and I will have if we will witness to win people to Jesus. Jesus wants us to do that, to witness to them, to win them to Christ. And then, as we talked about in the month of January, 
to disciple them in their relationship with Jesus. That's, that's the plan that Jesus gave us. Witness to them, win them to Christ, and then disciple them. But listen, y'all, Jesus knew that we could not do that in our own power. He gave us his power. He knew that we would not, we could not, and we would not do that in our own power. We're, just, we're, we're too, you know, we're, we're too afraid. Uh, we're too timid. We're, we're too lazy. We're, we're too busy. We're too distracted. We're too disobedient. All of those things. So the only way that we will have the power is that Jesus gives us the power to send us out, the power of the Holy Spirit to send us out to do his work. And let me tell you something, my brother and sister, when you get that power and you got it the very moment that you gave your life to Jesus, when you get the power of the Holy Spirit, you're sealed with it, you're saturated by it, you're standing in it, and there's nothing that can stop you when you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we have the power that sends us, the power that seals us, and the power that sends us. And we also have the power that sets us apart. The power that sets us apart. That's where we get to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That day of Pentecost that happened. Man, what a moment. <laughs> These are some of the most important verses in the New Testament. Really need to understand that. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, some of the most important. They're all important. But Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, for us as the church, are some of the most important verses in the New Testament. Jesus promised that he was going to build his church. You remember when he told Peter that? I will build my church. And what did he say after that? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful, church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against us and as the church? So Jesus promised that he was going to build his church. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come. You remember in John chapter 14? Uh, John 14, verse 15, John 14, verse 26, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. The Father would send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come and be your comforter. The Holy Spirit would come. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and would teach you everything that you need to know. Do you know why I pray every Sunday before I preach that the Holy Spirit would do the teaching? Because he is the teacher. I don't have to ask him to teach. He is the teacher but submitting to his leadership that he would use this, this broken, ineffective mouth sometimes to, to teach because he is the teacher. He promised that he would, Jesus promised that he would build his church. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come and he promised that he, that his power would be available to his followers. And guess what? Jesus always keeps his promises. And so we see that, that the day of Pentecost here fulfilled all of these promises that Jesus made. You see that. The day of Pentecost fulfilled all of those promises. I will build my church, Acts 2, 1 through 4. I will send the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 1 through 4. I will, I will, I will give you the power you need, Acts 2, 1 through 4. It's so important. It was a signature moment for the body of Christ as the Holy Spirit came and filled the apostles in a powerful, unmistakable way, and the church was birthed. Look at some of the things, the evidences that God gave. On that moment, in that day, right here, Acts 2, 1 through 4, the apostles, first of all, it says the apostles were all together. 
They were all together. Now, that means physically they were all together. But if you went and looked at the King James or the New King James and some of the other versions, you'll see where it says they were together in one accord. Not just together physically like we are right now, but together in one accord. They were together in unity. Another version of the Scripture says all of one mind in one place. Let me tell you something, my friends. Listen to this, brothers and sisters in Christ, members of First Baptist Church of Flora. When believers are together in unity, the Holy Spirit will pour out His power. So we need to understand the importance of us being together. Yeah, it's wonderful for us to be together physically. I love when this room is full. I love when the CLC is full, when we, when we gather for corporate worship. I love that. But even more important than us being together physically is that we be together spiritually in unity. And that's when the Holy Spirit will pour out His power. You know why? You know why it's so important? Because when we're not together in unity, then we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the power of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, I don't want to be, I've said this before, I don't want to be the one that quenches the power of the Holy Spirit. And do you know what? I could be the one. I could be the one. I could be the one that quenches the power of the Holy Spirit in the move, in his movement and power in this church. I don't want to be that person. The believers were together. They were together. The apostles were together, not just physically, but together in unity. The second thing that we see was we see the sudden sound of a mighty rushing wind, verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Both the Hebrew and the Greek words for spirit and wind are the same thing. The Holy Spirit came. John MacArthur said, that this. Well, I like the way he put this, this is the very blast of God's breath that came into that room. The apostles would not have missed the significance of hearing that mighty rushing wind. As I was doing this, uh, studying for this message, I was looking at some stuff. I've got a website that I use a lot that's got a lot of great uh, biblical uh, 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 training and biblical exegesis and things like that. And there was a link as it, uh, in, in a little section that was talking about this sound of the mighty rushing wind. And it said, click on this link to hear that sound. And I clicked on that link, and it took me to YouTube to the sound of a tornado that was rushing through the uh, out in Kansas somewhere, massive tornado. And for about three minutes, all it was was the sound of that tornado. And I just put myself up in that upper room and thought, well, I wonder what that must have been like to be sitting there and to hear that sound and know that it was the blast of God's breath. Apostles would not have missed the significance of that. And then you see also the tongues of fire that came and rested on them. The tongues of fire. Listen to me, all. Understand the significance of the wind and the fire. Understand this. Understand the significance of the wind and the fire. The wind speaks of the power of God. The fire speaks of the presence of God. Do you hear me? Wind speaks of the power of God. Fire speaks of the presence of God. Do you remember? We, do you remember my my big dogs guys and I are reading through the Bible right now? We just finished reading about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and how did God lead them at nighttime with a pillar of what? Fire, His presence. 
You see that all through Scripture that the presence of God is symbolized by fire. And so listen to this, y'all. What happens when you combine wind and fire? You get a wildfire that you can't stop. And that's what we need in the church. Holy Spirit, rain down. Bring your wind. Bring your fire. And it says that they were speaking in other tongues. Now understand this. Not going to get into this right now, but understand this. These were not unknown languages. This was not speaking in tongues, uh, unknown languages like some people do. These, they were speaking in other people's languages. Another evidence, proof that God wants all people everywhere to hear the gospel. Because they were speaking in languages that they didn't know. It would be like me starting to speak uh, Russian. Like me starting, I know one word in Russian, spasiba. That means thank you. That's it. I'm done right there. That's all. It would be like me all of a sudden just start speaking Russian. Me all of a sudden start speaking Swahili. Me all of a sudden start speaking Japanese. That's what happened when the Holy Spirit came. Proof that God was working. Proof that the Holy Spirit had come. And proof that God wants people everywhere in every tribe and language to hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the power that sets us apart. Bethlehem was God with us. The cross was God for us. And Pentecost is God in us. And he sets us apart just as the apostles were set apart at this moment to begin their work of sharing the gospel and making disciples. So you and I have been set apart to do that same thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the power that strengthens us. The power that strengthens us. The last point. The Holy Spirit is the power that strengthens us. Listen, y'all. <laughs> These apostles were going to need some strength. As they began to do their work, they were going to need the strength that only the Holy Spirit could give them as they began their work. Man, the, the, the spiritual warfare that was about to come against these guys was to, about to ramp up at an incredibly high level. As they began their work, man, they were going to be, uh, opposition is going to come from everywhere, mostly through the religious leaders. But opposition was going to come from everywhere. These guys were going to be arrested. They were going to be thrown in jail. They were going to be put in stocks. They were going to be beaten. They were going to be flogged. They were going to be stoned. They were going to be ostracized. And ultimately, every one of them would be killed. But listen, when you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, like they did, you can stand up and say things like this. Acts 4, 19 and 20. Peter and John, having been arrested, said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges, because as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. When you got the power of the Holy Spirit, you got the strength to say that in the face of those who have the power and the ability to kill you. Amen? You can say things like this, Acts 5, 29, Peter and the apostles answered them and said, we must obey God rather than men. You know what happened after that? They got beaten. They were beaten. And then they were let go. But, and it says they were, when they were released from the Sanhedrin, they, they were rejoicing. They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. When you got the power of the Holy Spirit, you're strong enough to say, as Stephen said, right before they began raining stones down on his head, cracking his skull, and killing him, right before that, 
You got when you have the Holy Spirit's power, you can say in Acts seven fifty one, "You stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do." you. And as soon as he said that, it said they began to gnash their teeth. They got so furious at him saying that. And they started grabbing those stones and pounding him with those stones, just destroying his body and and sending him into glory. Of course, you know, there's a guy named Saul who was standing there that watched all that happen and approved of it. It's a whole nother sermon. Let me finish up this sermon by saying this. If you and I are going to do the work that we are called to do. If our church, this church that we love so much, is going to be the church that we are called to be, if we are going to shatter the strongholds of Satan that are in our lives, in our church, and in our community, and there are strongholds in this community, If we're going to shatter those strongholds, then we are going to need the strength that only the Holy Spirit can give us in power and might. But the Holy Spirit strengthens. He's the power that strengthens us. You know, power can be utilized in two ways. It can be released suddenly or it can be provided over a long period of time. You take 10 gallons of gas. You can release the power of that 10 gallon gas, 10 gallons of gas suddenly by striking a match, right? And the power in that 10 gallons of gas will be suddenly released and you'll see the evidence of it immediately. Or you can take that 10 gallons of gas and put it into your car. And if your car gets 20 miles to the gallon, then you can drive for 200 miles. You see that happening when the Holy Spirit came. He works in both ways. He exploded onto the scene (laughs) at Pentecost. But now he's with us. And he works in our lives over a long period of time as we yield our lives to him. And because he is in us, we have the power we need to be the church we're called to be, to be the people we're called to be, to see God work in ways we have never seen him work. In the life of this church. I hope that you desire that. I hope that you're ready for that. I hope that we together will see the spirit and the power of the spirit of God move in ways we've never seen before as lives are changed and as we do the work he's called us to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, would you help us now as your Holy Spirit who is with us, as your Holy Spirit moves and works in our lives right now, help us to be obedient, help us to do the right thing, Lord, somebody today may be experiencing the Holy Spirit's conviction for salvation today. So I pray, God, that today that they'll call out to you and be saved. Others, God, may be experiencing uh, a conviction of your Holy Spirit because there's something in their life that shouldn't be there. There is a stronghold that is there. They've allowed something to come into their life, and a stronghold is there now. God, whatever it is, Lord, I pray by the power of your Spirit right now that you will move and work in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.